What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Joining me on the line right now is Kevin Matthews, who's the head of electrification with First Student uh, on these new school buses and how this whole thing is going to work. Mr. Matthews, how are you, sir? I'm very well. Uh, please call me Kevin. Matt, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. So, obviously, you're not a Rhode Islander, I can tell by your accent. Um, so people... I'm not. I'm from, I'm, I'm from L.A. Right. Uh, we call that Lower Arkansas. <laughs> And so this obviously, uh, First Student is a huge company. Uh, where are you guys headquartered? So we're headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we operate in 41 states and six provinces of Canada. Wow. And this is the, the only, f- in Providence, The oh, how many people, how many uh, towns in Rhode Island do you operate in? You know? uh, I would have to double check. Let me look real it's quite quick. A few. I need to open up a file. So I'll see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven. Okay. Uh, that we uh, facilities we operate out of in Rhode Island. And so you're about, uh, but the about un- a total of seven hundred eighty vehicles. Okay. So you, but you're so these are the only four electrified vehicles that you have in Rhode Island or in Providence, correct? <clears throat> Yeah, at this time, yes. These are the first first four units we deployed in, in, in our Rhode Island operations. Now, as head of electrification, how big of a project is this for you, and where are you concentrating your efforts? Sure. It's a very big uh, project for us, uh, and we have uh, you know assigned a, a full-time team of about 15 people at First Student to, to work on this initiative. Uh, so... Uh, <clears throat> We, uh, you know, have made a commitment to electrify 30,000 of our current fleet of 46,000 school buses uh, by the year 2035. Mm-hmm. And so we've developed a plan uh, to begin to move, you know, to achieve that goal within that time frame. Uh, as of yesterday, uh, when we added the four units into Providence, uh, we have 310 in operation across North America. Uh, the preponderance of that fleet is in uh, Montreal, uh, the Quebec province there, uh, where we're operating. And, and really the reason we chose to go there first, uh, two primary reasons. One, the Quebec government had a mandate that we had to start going zero emission there. Uh, they also offer incentives <clears throat> to assist on that. But we knew we needed to figure out cold weather. Mm. Uh, that's obviously one of the biggest uh, impediments uh, to range is cold weather. And so we knew if we could figure out the operations in Quebec, uh, where it's routinely well below zero, uh, we can make them work just about anywhere uh, across North America. Well, how do you do that? What's it, what's what's the technology like? What do you have to do? It's a great deal of planning. Uh, so when we decide to electrify, uh, bring electric units to a location like we did in Prov- uh, Providence, uh, we have 27 factors we evaluate uh, oh. to make a determination that we can successfully operate uh, electric school buses in that specific geography. And that's real simple. You know, the simple things you would think about, what's the coldest temperature, not the average cold temperature, but the absolute coldest day we're likely to encounter because uh, schools are going to be open when it's cold. Uh, so we look at that. We look at the routes that, that we'll run. You know, what is the range? What is the topography we're going to run into? Uh, and then we looked at a whole number of factors that go into that so that we know we can successfully operate in that jurisdiction. 
The biggest issue we have to look at, you know, is really right-sizing the school bus. So, And that really means the battery, because the manufacturers basically make three different sizes of batteries. So we have to right-size the battery to the route we'll be running. Then we have to right-size the charging infrastructure so that we can adequately charge and efficiently charge that battery so it can meet its route requirements. Mm. Well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, does the does the route that you're saying, like, I would imagine, I don't know if you call this a test case or not, or if this is just a, a slow roll implementation. Um, do you do the are these routes that these buses are going to be put on? Are they going to be put on special routes that are shorter, that are less impactful, in order to mitigate any sort of negative externalities, as they say? Yeah. No, I mean, the Providence routes, you know, because you're a, a very urban environment, mm-hmm. our routes are not that long in Providence uh, to begin with. Uh, so we feel comfortable we could do the vast majority of routes with the current available electric technology. I think the routes we're looking at here really are to get into areas. We've worked with the city and the school district where there are air quality issues and really begin to improve air quality uh, for the students, but also the community where the buses operate. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, you know, I was I was mentioning this in the first hour of the show. Yet last hour, my wife's a teacher, and we had a cancellation of school one year um, because the someone had forgotten or didn't something happened with where the buses weren't plugged in for the diesel engines to kept be kept warm at night, and they they didn't start in the morning. Yeah, um, I would the imagine blocking, the blocking heaters. Yeah. Right. So, what is what are the challenges with the cold weather in terms of um, keeping them warm overnight? What what what, you, what have you learned from Montreal yeah. that you that can implement in Providence so we don't have that kind of problem as this becomes a, a, a more well, I, widely spread uh, share this situation? Story. So, as we of course we meet with a lot of school superintendents. And one of them came up to me and he said, so he goes, two years ago, we had a student break into the school bus yard and turn on all the headlights of the school buses. So the batteries would be dead the next morning. So he wouldn't have to go to school to take a test. (laughs) Uh, And so he said, how are we going to prevent some student from breaking into the yard and unplugging all the buses? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's the good news is everything's got software now. And so if a bus is unplugged, we're immediately notified. Uh, that that bus is not charging appropriately. The location manager there in Providence would be notified. Security would be notified, and we would immediately dispatch out to the location to see what's going on. So we're actually going to cut off some, let's say, creative students' uh, ideas about how to avoid school. However, you know, what we have to do when we look at cold weather is the – really it's the size of the charger. So most people – I heard you talking about Tesla – and light-duty cars, you know, the Nissan Leafs of the world, mm-hmm. they go with what's a level two charger uh, known in the industry. That's basically what, if you got an electric dryer in your house and you've got that bigger socket, uh, that's a 220-volt socket. So that's what level two is. Uh, and, and most cars can charge off of that. We have to step up to level three, uh, which is the next level up. And so that's anything above uh, 20 kilowatts. In service. Now, we don't need to go real big. Uh, I think in Providence, we have 30 kilowatt stations uh, installed there. And that's what we did the factor on to make sure on a cold uh, night in Providence, 
Now, first off, people don't realize the batteries themselves have to be heated in order to accept a charge. So that 30 kW charger will heat the battery and supply enough electricity to charge the batteries during the allotted time uh, that we want to uh, uh, be charging the batteries to have them at capacity for the next morning. And that's designed for the coldest day of the year, not as I said earlier, not right. the average cold day, but the coldest day we're likely to encounter in Providence during the wintertime. One of the things we're always concerned about whenever we talk about the electrification of cars en masse is the grid and the ability to handle this electricity. <laughs> Do you all have conversations with, in our case, Rhode Island Energy, whatever the, whatever yep. the, the, the utility company is? And are they pretty confident that they can handle the, as this thing grows, that they're, yep. they're doing enough infrastructure improvements to handle all this demand? Yeah, Rhode Island Energy has been a great partner on this project. I cannot say enough good uh, about how they've assisted us on bringing adequate electricity to the location and, and, and installing some infrastructure for us. It's, it's been a terrific relationship. And literally, you know, I talked about our 27 criteria. One of the first ones is call the utility and see what can be done. Uh, because there are some places where delivering the amount of electricity that's needed is problematic. Uh, fortunately, in Providence, it was not. And so uh, we were able to build not only for these four buses, but to get, begin to add more to the fleet in, in the years ahead. One of the things that we're cooperating with utilities on in terms of grid impacts is participating in what are known as vehicle-to-grid pilots. And what that means is you put in bi-directional charging infrastructure, meaning electricity can flow either direction, either to the bus or out of the bus back to the grid. And so the utility can actually use the batteries in cars or, you know, in our case, school buses that aren't being operated in order to, you know, augment some of the grid as more electrification comes online. So actually the solution to the problem of electrifying vehicles is the electric vehicles themselves. They will become not only drains on the grid, but assets to the grid and help the utilities balance the load out and be able to meet the demands that will be coming. So they're going to be like mini storage facilities when they're not in use. It, exactly. That is exactly the case. What is it, What type of battery? Because we've talked about safety and we've, uh, we've actually had the fire marshal on several times. Uh, well, one time, actually, we yeah. reached out a second time about the fires that come from these you know, lithium batteries and, and what happens. And basically where they're just going to let them burn. Uh, obviously, school yeah. buses full of children and fires. There's fire drills and school buses now. But these are more dangerous and they're more severe. So what's the what's the challenge there and what are you guys doing about it? Yeah, well, nothing is more important than safety at first do it. Uh, we recognize we are transporting the most precious uh, people in, in the United States and, and safety is first and foremost uh, with everything we do. To date, uh, you know, we have not had a fire. I'm not aware of any fire in an electric school bus uh, uh, to date, and they've been operating for about uh, seven years uh, at this point in time in some, some form or fashion. We do have safety training as it relates, and so the drivers are trained to watch the indicators on the dashboard that would indicate a heat event, uh, meaning something is overheating. Uh, if that begins, you know, we have parameters in place to put the bus in a safe location. We're just not going to park anywhere and discharge the children. We will get it to a safe location uh, and then evacuate the school bus uh, and have those children picked up and, and continued on their way. The thing we've seen with, and this has more occurred in the transit industry, transit buses, not school buses. We've had uh, fires in, in transit buses that we've studied. The good thing that we've seen on these fires is that the heat indication went off 
a good eight to nine hours before smoke was even spotted. And flames did not appear for 12 hours. Hmm. Uh, so the likelihood that you're going to see some type of a fire uh, while there's still students on board, while there's uh, on the road, is extremely unlikely. Uh, there are going to be enough warning indications well in advance to evacuate the bus in a safe manner. And then what we do, we have our protocols that if a bus uh, does have a heat indicator, we park it away from everything else. Uh, we've designated a spot there in Providence where we can park that bus so it's not near another bus, it's not near one of our structures, uh, so that if a fire breaks out, uh, the only thing that we're going to lose is the bus uh, and not have collateral damage associated with that. It is very difficult to put out these fires. Uh, they burn very, very hot. Uh, and so the likelihood that we're going to be able to save the bus after it catches on fire is pretty remote to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are looking to invest in fire suppression technologies uh, that we could have at locations uh, to potentially deal with this in the future. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. If you sacrifice your dream for the sake of satisfying someone else, that can often lead to ongoing resentment, which then poisons a relationship subtly, slowly, but it does. And if he doesn't want to let you down, then your dreams matter. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Are there any issues with weight uh, on these buses? Because obviously the batteries are way heavier. These the usually average car is way heavier, and so you have to do you have to mitigate where you park it, where you drive it. Is there any concern about that at all? No, no, no. There, there's no weight. It actually lowers the center of gravity uh, for the school bus, so it makes it a little less likely to tip uh, in any type of uh, accident event. So we actually think it makes them safer. Uh, the only downside we've seen to date is the tires uh, wear out a little faster. Uh, than they do in a fossil fuel bus because the extra weight, you know, does does wear out the tires. You know, it's funny as I'm getting as I'm talking about this, I have listeners who will, you know, either text in or they'll they'll email in. I'm getting a ton of articles about problems with fleets in different states. Um, people who have they've, they've invested heavily in in electrified buses and then end up having a bus fire and then they, it destroys. They all go back to diesel. Um, there's, they're talking about how some of them don't, aren't working properly, so they're not going to go off and, uh, you know, they're, they're reconsidering. I think there's a Washington Free Beacon story about, uh, a Mich Michigan district that said that theirs hardly work. What, yep. what are you doing to mitigate against all this stuff? I mean, have, are you, are you, is there a certain manufacturer you're working with that you trust more and, and are you finding maintenance problems with the ones you're doing up in, uh, in Canada? Yeah. So we, we buy from there. There are four primary manufacturers of school buses uh, and, uh, on the electric side, and, and we currently buy from all four. Uh, you know, it's still new technology. They all have their pluses and minuses. Uh, to say we haven't had an issue uh, with uh, the units would be inaccurate, uh, but they've all been issues we've been able to address. As we've examined, and I know the story you're talking about, I've seen that when we've actually met with that school district and some others, what we've seen in those situations is a school district really that self-operates, meaning they don't have a contractor like first student uh, that has the, the bench, the, the internal capabilities that we have. You know, they've come out and they've designed, and most of the time what we've seen in these incidents is the charging infrastructure is undersized, is not built correctly. And so that impacts the bus operations. I see. And so it's really critical that, you know, you know, I know the bus, you know, at the event yesterday in Providence, everybody was standing in front of the buses. We took all these great pictures of the buses, took them for a ride. You know, 
that's the quote unquote sexy part. If a if a yellow school bus can be sexy, but what makes it work is the four charging charging stations outside the building, right. uh, and that's where we spend our time and effort. And that's what I encourage anybody in the fleet business is understand what your charging needs are, and get that right. If you get that right, you've probably eliminated. 60, 70% of the problems you're going to confront on the initial rollout. Kevin, I only have a couple of, now, a couple of minutes left here. I want to ask yeah. one more quick question about, about funding. We're talking to Kevin yeah. Matthews. He's the head of electrification for First Student uh, as we roll out four new electric school buses in Providence. These things are, what, uh, about two or three times the cost of an average everyday bus? You guys get help from the federal government and from, I guess, from uh, na- national, excuse me, I want to say national grid. It's Rhode Island Energy. Um, talk about the expense and how, how you're mitigating that. Yeah, so they are more expensive units. Uh, they are less costly to operate over time. Uh, so there are savings that we calculate into that. But to date, yes, we have been using federal, state, and local grants uh, to acquire the buses uh, that we have done. We also work with the utilities. Many of them, uh, such as Rhode Island Energy, have programs to assist us on, on infrastructure costs. And that's really critical to make this work because school districts, as we all know, are, are cash-strapped. And so coming to them and asking them to pay costs to do this is really not uh, something we want to do. So we look for those grants. And and the EPA has the Clean School Bus Program right now. Uh, The buses in Providence were actually bought by a previous EPA program uh, under the American Rescue Plan. Uh, And right now we've got an application in front of EPA for Providence for 10 more buses. And then we'll be submitting another application the end of January for 25 more buses in Providence. You know, if we win, it's a, it's a question to be determined, but we are committed to adding more into Providence. You figure by 2020, 2035, you'll have complete electrified buses in Providence? So what's the goal here? Providence will probably go pretty, be one of the faster ones to move uh, because of the urban environment uh, that we're in, the ability to handle the range issues. Uh, that's one we're really targeting is, is our Rhode Island operations for a, a, a full transition by the year 2035. Full transition. Okay, 2035. Kevin Matthews, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the information. It was great. Well, thank you very much for your, uh, bringing some light to this. We appreciate any time we get to talk about beautiful yellow school buses. Awesome. And I mean, we'll, we'll be in touch. I'm sure this is not the last time we'll talk. Kevin Matthews from First Student. Uh, four school buses are now electrified in Providence, and so with more to come. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> in 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.